Welcome to Disclosure. I am your host for today's program, Jean Boonstra, and here in the hot seat on the other side of the desk is a hot dude. Is a hot dude. A hot dude sitting in the other seat. That's why it's called the hot seat, by is the it? way. Is yeah, it's it? called okay. the hot seat okay. because a hot dude sits over okay. here. What if it's a hot dudette? Does that work? I'm not a dudette. What are you saying? <laughs> I'm saying, is it the same terminology? No, you wouldn't be a dudette. A What's a female dude? A babe. Uh, okay. okay. A hot babe. That's also a hot seat. <laughs> and your seat's hotter than my seat. There you go. This is, all right. Well, it's probably time to rein in the show here a little yes, bit. Yes, this yeah. is, you are listening to Disclosure. And here um, on the other side of the desk is your usual host, my husband, Sean Boonstra. And Sean, we've kind of reversed roles just a little bit today because we have several questions that you have received at various live events you've done um, called Revelation Speaks Peace. And whenever you um, conduct one of these live seminars, you always have a question box in the lobby for those who are attending. And most recently, you were in Denver, Colorado. I mean, there was one in there the other day that just said, why is your seat called the hot seat? And I had no idea. Until now. And now you could answer that question. Yeah. There Folks, you go. This may not be the finest hour in broadcasting, but it's not the worst either. <laughs> nice setup. Lower that expectation yeah. level. <laughs> um, but Sean, you were in Denver, Colorado, which was really, really great because, of course, Colorado is our home state. Yep. And it, it was wonderful to hold the seminar here in our area. And a lot of our um, team here at The Voice of Prophecy was able to be there and participate. It was great. Um, So we have a stack of questions that came in during that event. Um, In a previous program, we answered some of them, and uh, we didn't get very far. So I want to throw some questions at you today. You're going to actually throw them at me? I will actually physically, here you go, throw them at you, and you do your best to answer them um, in the time that we have. No. Sound good? No. No? So I have no idea what we're going to do for the next hour, but I'm not doing that. Yeah, I'll <laughs> yes, do it. You are. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> okay. Because you called this the hot seat. The hot seat. Oh, I'm there banking that. Can we actually get this seat labeled, you guys? Can we get a label on the hot seat? Sean's seat. The hot seat. The hot seat. <laughs> I'm so happy now. Oh, okay. Go All ahead. Right. Let's know these are these are question? real questions. And one yes. of the reasons I like to take these in the studio is because I, you know, I get a lot of the same questions all over the world, and so I know people are curious about these things. So mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. go with it. What do you okay. got first? What do you got all right. first? Here's question number one. In Matthew 24, verse 12, yep. Jesus says that lawlessness will abound. Does that mean that the crime rate will be going up? Good yeah, question. Yeah, that's a pretty good question. You know, we're talking Bible prophecy, and um, and lawlessness is a um, is a major theme in Bible prophecy. Actually, let's do a little Bible study on that. Okay. I've got a computer here. I, I, I've got a Bible as well, but it's so full of Post-it notes, I can't turn through the pages. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're going to start in 2 Thessalonians 2. Did you bring a Bible into the studio today? Oh, you didn't actually bring it. What did you think we would be doing today? Studying the Bible and answering yeah. Bible okay, questions. Okay, now here we go. I'm there, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. I want to take a look at this because lawlessness is definitely a last day issue. We keep um, talking about all kinds of last day issues, and modern Christianity has uh, in some ways missed this one. For some reason, we've missed that this is one of the most prevalent themes um, in Bible prophecy. So we're going to go to Second Thessalonians 2, and it describes a big problem here. Uh, all right. It is now here's let me set the table a little bit for what's happening in Second Thessalonians chapter two. Okay. 
In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, well, it's his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. And in the first letter to the church of Thessalonica, he wrote, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Wrote a vivid description of the second coming. And from what we can tell historically is that the Thessalonians got so excited, ooh, second coming is happening like right now. And so in 2 Thessalonians, uh, he writes to them. And in chapter 2, he says this, now, brethren, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, so he's referring to his first letter, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, Hmm. as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. So he's saying, look, there's some things that have to happen before Jesus returns again. Mm Uh, And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Some Mm. character is going to come along and claim to have the very place of God on earth. Right. 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 Uh, And that is, you know, we often refer to that as the Antichrist, even though that word doesn't appear here or anywhere in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. But it fits the description of the Antichrist. Yeah, kind of. When people think of Antichrist, actually the word Antichrist is Greek. Mm -hmm. Ante doesn't just mean against. You know, we say, oh, he's anti this and anti that. But it also means in the place of, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So antichrist would be someone who puts himself in the place of Christ or in the place of God. Right. Okay. He continues in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that may be revealed in his own time. Now listen to verse 7. Okay. For the mystery of lawlessness, the word is anomia in Greek. It literally means without the law. Okay. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Mm. All right, so there's something that's starting way back in the first century that's going to grow and grow and grow until it becomes this major problem described in this chapter. And he right. calls it the mystery of lawlessness. And it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, it goes back to this person who claims to be God. The lawless one will be revealed. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Mm -hmm. Lawlessness is a huge issue in the last days to the point where if you take a look at Revelation chapter 14, you see the other side of the coin and you see God's faithful people. Uh, And in Revelation 14 verse 1 it says, I looked, behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion with him 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. That happens to be the very character of God. Your name is your character in the Bible. When Moses asks um, to see God's glory, God says, okay, I'm going to declare my name to you. You read about it in Exodus 33 and 34. Mm -hmm. And then when God declares his name, he describes his character, a merciful, loving, just, you know. So it's these are people that have the very character of God etched in their minds, Mm -hmm. etched in their hearts. Mm -hmm. And then it describes what they are like in verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Sexual purity in Bible prophecy is a reference to fidelity to God because the church is described as the bride of Christ. The church right. is a woman, a pure woman in Revelation chapter 12. And um, and so faithfulness is fidelity. This is a faithful, pure woman. That's the bride of Christ. An unfaithful person, a woman, also shows up in Revelation 17, another study for another day. It says, these are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. So they're faithful. They're pure. In their mouth was found no deceit, verse 5. Then there's a very vivid description of them down in verse 12. Listen to this. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So these are the ones who are not lawless. Mm -hmm. And you really Mm -hmm. only have two camps in the end. 
the Bible says, Paul is saying that the, the problem begins way back in his day, but lawlessness grows and grows and grows, and in the end there's only two camps, those who reject God's moral law, and we seem to be living in that day and age now, mm -hmm. yeah. and those who stand faithful for it. In the Old King James, if you see the word iniquity, the mystery yeah. of iniquity is here. Right. In the New Testament, that's often from that Greek word anomia, meaning lawlessness. Um, so there you go. Here's another description, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to do a lot of Bible study today. Oh, this is good. The, the question is, is lawlessness going to be, does it mean the crime rate's going to go up? Well, yes and no, but I think it's deeper than that. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about human laws. We're talking about God's law. Mm -hmm. The Bible identifies God's moral law as the end time issue. So this isn't really saying that, you know, we're going to have more people getting speeding tickets and, and robbing 7-Elevens, right, right. although, Crime sprees. Mm -hmm. although robbing the 7-Eleven is a violation of God's moral law as well. Sure. Right. So so this situation started already back in oh, yeah, absolutely. early early times, and it's just a growing, 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 growing and growing. it polarizes. It polarizes okay. into two camps, those who yeah. keep God's moral law and those who don't. That's right. the issue. Right. We're not talking about human laws, although breaking human laws is often also a violation yeah, of God's moral law. It's sort of a symptom. Yeah. So this isn't really talking about the crime rate, but mm -hmm. it is indirectly. Okay. Here's Paul's description of how bad it gets in 2 Timothy chapter 3, mm -hmm. verse 1. But know this, that in the last days... Now he's looking down at the end of time. Earlier he said the mystery of iniquity is already at work in his day. Mm -hmm. Know this, in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, this, this is going to be a tragic description for those of us who want to be honest with it. Mm. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, mm. boasters, proud, blasphemers. Uh, blasphemy in the Bible means taking the place of putting yourself in God's place. It's not just using bad language. Mm -hmm. So that was true of the man of sin, but he's saying it's going to spill over into the human race as well. Disobedient to parents, hmm. unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. We're actually going to come to a point where the human race calls what we used to call good evil and evil good. Mm -hmm. uh, traitors, heady, oh, sorry, headstrong. traitors, headstrong. Uh, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. So mm. when the Bible's talking about lawlessness, it's really talking about um, it's talking about God's moral law. Let okay. me let me go to first uh, John chapter two verse three. here's here's a description of God's people. We saw in Revelation they keep God's commandments. Uh, and it'll demarcate God's people from the rest of the population in the last gasp of history. First John 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Mm. So it's really talking about God's moral law. Okay. Um, God says in Hebrews 8 and in Hebrews 10 that in the last days he's writing his law in our hearts. We see his, his name in our foreheads. That's our character. It says we keep his commandments. It's all really driving at the same thing. Mm -hmm. The character of God is being reproduced in his people, and the rest of the world is becoming more and more lawless. Are they breaking human laws? Yes, but the big issue is God's moral law. So does the crime rate go up? Sure. We're becoming more wicked, I think. That last description from Paul in you know, 2 Timothy 3 definitely suggests such a thing, but we're really talking about God's moral law. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. I thought that was an awesome answer. What do you mean <laughs> that good? was a great answer. No, no. You should say I'm floored <laughs> by your sheer wisdom. There you go. Well, you said it for me, so I'll just agree with you. How's See, that? No, sound? no. I'm not supposed to say things like that because it's heady, haughty, high-minded, <laughs> proud. Yeah. E examples of the lawlessness that, was just that will abound. That, yeah, right. that's exactly right. No, that's good. Sean, I have another question for you. I don't know if you can answer it before the break, but I'm going to throw it out there because it's a good one. 
why are some Christians so weird? Yeah. Huh, good question. <laughs> You're absolutely right, man. Some of them are weird. I'm probably in that camp. I'm probably a little in the weird camp. I don't know if there was a weird scale where I would fall on it, but I'm probably a good seven out of ten. When you say everyone's a little bit weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, okay, but I, I think I know what we're driving at with this question. Why are some Christians weird? Mm-hmm. Or so weird was the question. That, so weird. That's the how the person. Yeah. Why wrote are some Christians so, so weird? Weird. Well, I think that that would be true of any segment of the population. You could go to any, you could go to an atheist club and a bunch of them would be weird. You could go to a Buddhist club, a bunch of them would be weird. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain percentage of the human race that is just weird. I think if we want to be fair, we're all a little weird in our own way, right? We yeah, put definitely. up a brave front, but no one really want, we don't really want people to know what we're like when no one's around. We're all a little bit weird, but uh, we're going to run out of time, aren't we? Uh, so let me say this. Let, let me say this because I, I want to answer this. Okay. Um, I just thought came into my head. The Song of Solomon says in chapter 6 and verse 11, I went down into the Garden of Nuts. I know that's not what that means, but... No, it means pistachios or almonds. Yeah, no, that, it literally means a garden with nuts. <laughs> right. But I read that sometimes thinking, yeah, yeah, I've been there too. The weird people? Yeah, I've gone to some religious functions where uh-huh. like it's definitely the Garden of Nuts. It's yeah. definitely the Garden of Nuts. There's always one wackadoodle there <laughs> in every... So I get it. I'll say this before the break. I will admit a lot of Christians are really weird. And why? I think I have an answer to that. Uh, sounds like I'll have an answer to that. Very soon. Very soon after the break, right? Because so the music means that... The music's starting. So, Sean, okay. we are going to take a break. But stay with us because Sean is going to answer this question when we come back. Why are some Christians so weird? Does it say some Christians? It doesn't say Sean. Some Christians, not Sean. But okay. we are going to find the answer to that right after this short break here on Disclosure. searching for answers to life's toughest questions? Like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Does my life really matter to God? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter the most to you. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Welcome back to Disclosure. I'm today's host, Jean Boonstra, and here with me is your usual host, Sean Boonstra. And Sean, you've been answering some Bible questions. I have. I don't know if I've been doing a good job or not. You've been doing a great job. There you go. Great job. Okay. Uh, But before the break, we had... One of my favorites. We had a really good question that you received um, when you were hosting a live event called Revelation Speaks Peace in Denver, Colorado. And someone sent uh, submitted this question to you. Why are some Christians so weird? And you yep. started to answer this. We had to take a break, but you said you had an answer. Yeah, I mm-hmm. totally get this question. You know, you have jokingly sometimes called me the apostle to the twilight zone because <laughs> I seem to bring the weirdest people in the world to a group. It's Some happened. days, yeah, it yeah. does happen. Mostly in and, downtown LA, but and that's I think, all right. I think everybody, oh, that wasn't nice to California. 
downtown Ad- address LA. your dear Californians <laughs> address your complaint letters to Gene Boonstra box 999 Loveland Colorado I love that's 999 Loveland Colorado I love California all right but everyone who lives there would agree that if you're gonna have anything odd happen it's usually in downtown LA that's normal well the, it, it's normal everywhere mm-hmm. weird is normal that's Let's, true see, is that a fair answer that, but I know that, what we're getting fair. at here sometimes you go to church or you're even afraid to bring your friends to church because there's going to be that one weird person in the congregation that's just so weird you're afraid they're going to scare your friends away um, so part of the answer is look it doesn't matter what group of people what demographic you look at a certain percentage are going to be a little well interesting, mm-hmm. right? They're going to march to a different drummer. I kind of like that. I like people who march to a different drummer unless it gets really, really weird. And I kind of am the apostle to the Twilight Zone. I've had the weirdest conversations with some people, you know, anywhere from aliens and, you know, so it's entertaining in a little bit, but I, I get the question, why are some Christians so weird? Um, and one of the reasons, now I'm not saying this is true. I want to be really cautious about this. Everybody's just a little quirky. We all are, and some are quirkier than others. There is this possibility, and I want to be really careful that you don't take my answer and go and apply it to somebody at your church. Sure. That's not what I want oh, to definitely. have happen here. Mm-hmm. But there is a story in Acts chapter 16 and uh, that um, well, we're talking about Paul here. Okay. And it says, now it happened, Acts 16, verse 16, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. So she's into spiritualism. She's like does seances and communicates with spirits who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Mm. So, right. Mm-hmm. She's being used. She's weird. Mm-hmm. Right. She's into spiritualism. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Is that true? It was yeah. absolutely true. Definitely. The problem is, is that the weirdest girl in town is saying it, uh, and everybody knows that she's yeah. she's into spiritualism. She's, yeah, she's a fortune teller. And right. in this case, uh, well, here, verse 18, I love this. This she did for many days, but Paul greatly annoyed. See, <laughs> no, I love that. Oh, come on, you're laughing. He was human. He was human, he was very human. and I get greatly annoyed sometimes. Yeah, I've had course. this happen. The weirdest person will show up, and you know, I'll be in a public place and sharing the gospel with someone, and a wackadoodle will insert themselves into the situation and say the weirdest thing. Mm-hmm. Or everyone, they'll say the right thing, but everyone knows they're weird. Mm. And again, please be careful. Don't go to your church and apply this principle to everybody you meet that you don't like because they don't all work for the devil. That's not it. But that possibility's here. It says, Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. So here's what's happening in this case. Everyone in town knows there's something wrong with her, Mm -hmm. right? She's into the occult, spiritualism, and that will definitely push you down the twilight zone spectrum. There's Mm -hmm. no question about it. It'll make you weird. You cannot fool around with the occult and not come out undamaged. You just can't. It influences you. So everyone in this town knows that, and so the devil stirs her up to go behind Paul saying, listen to this man, listen to this man. What she's doing is discrediting him because she's so weird. So is there a possibility that sometimes weird people show up at the worst possible moment in your church setting basically to cast Christianity in the worst possible light? Yes. Mm -hmm. Just be super careful that you're not just going after somebody quirky. Remember, we're all weird. And always remember that if your angel, an angel could sit down with you this afternoon and go through what you do wrong and what you do weird, you'd be humiliated by the experience because I promise you, you don't measure up to their standard either. We're all a little weird. We all live in the garden of nuts. We're all a little off. No, we really are. Let's be honest. We're all a little off. We hold it together in front of the world, but in private, we're all a little wacky. Well, and if you take any group of people, as, as you said, I think before the break, you're going to find a certain percentage that seems a little different in any any group of oh, people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Not then just some of us a, are more different Christians. than others. Yeah. I mean, you're sure. the weirdest person I know. <laughs> but you love me. I love you for your weird. <laughs> there you go. Now, everybody's weird, right? So yeah. there's the, the possibility of discrediting. I've often also said, you know what? Bright lights and insects kind of go together too, which isn't very that's nice. That's true. You know, no, you turn true. on a bright light and everything shows up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just would be really careful calling people weird. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some people, there's no question, they're just absolutely wackadoodle. I I get that. And sometimes it's discredit or sometimes they just have a problem, and in which case we love them like Jesus would. Yeah, for sure. Okay. okay. Yeah, so there you go. Why are some Good. Christians so weird? Let's not pretend they're not. <laughs> there's probably a story behind some of the weirdest Christians. Some question. of the weirdest Christians you've ever met are sitting in the control room right now. There's three of them in there. They're like, no, they're not. Oh, yeah, no, they're, they're so weird. Look at them. Look at them. <laughs> they look like regular guys. To oh, they're me. turning off. They're turning everything off and leaving. Yeah, they're going to yeah. mute your mic. <laughs> okay, next question. <laughs> All right, here's another question. Um, hmm. This person writes I have heard it said many times that if you were the only person on earth or something to that effect, Christ would still have gone to the cross for you, which sounds swell, but is there anything in the Bible? That would indicate this. Yeah, and Good you question. do hear preachers say that all the time. They're making an appeal at the end of a sermon, saying, "If you were the only sinner on earth, Jesus still would have given His life for you." Right. And we just assume that's in the Bible. And so asking this question is a good practice. The Bible says the Bereans were more noble than others because they checked what the preacher said against the Bible. Exactly. And so this person is checking what they've heard against the Bible. And the answer is, yeah, I think there is that indication in the Bible. And, and here's where I would prove it from. Second Peter okay. chapter 3 and verse 9, it's talking about the second coming. And it says, well, it's talking about the fact that some people say, boy, that's taken a long time, and scoffers are mocking, saying Jesus is never going to come, the world will always go on. Mm -hmm. But then Peter reveals the reason God is waiting. And it says in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, the promise of the return of Christ, Mm -hmm. as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any Mm. should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So... Does God care about us on an individual level? No question about it. He's not willing that any Any. should perish. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons that he's lingering, one of the reasons that Jesus hasn't returned is there's still someone there whose heart is soft enough that they might respond. Now, there does come a moment where the human race is polarized and everybody sealed their decisions and you've gone one way or the other and you've shut out the voice of the Holy Spirit if you've turned against God so long that you don't hear him anymore. The world will come to a climax point where that's done, Mm -hmm. but God is waiting because there's still one more. And it says not any should perish, not mm-hmm. any. And that's the individual as well. Mm-hmm. And when you read Jesus' description that God cares about everything, right? he sees the sparrow fall, he counts the hairs on your head. Uh, I think we have every indication in the Bible to support the suggestion that, yes, Jesus would have died for just mm-hmm. you. Yeah. He, he, he would have provided that pathway to salvation, that plan of salvation, just for one individual oh, No question about yeah. it. Yeah, no question about it. Good. I don't think there's any question about it, but but bravo to whoever turned in the question, uh, insisting on clarity from the scriptures. Absolutely. Just because mm-hmm. preachers say it doesn't mean you shouldn't check it. Yep, that's right. Okay. Yeah. All right, next question, Sean. Can the name Jehovah be applied to Jesus? I think we've answered this one at some point before, so next question. Really? No, I'm kidding. No, oh. no, let's answer that. Let's <laughs> well, answer let that. me finish it. Can okay. the name Jehovah be applied to Jesus, or is that just for God the Father? That's actually a really good question. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jehovah is actually an Anglicanization. No, it's an Anglicization. <laughs> Anglicanization would mean making it Episcopal. An Anglican? Yeah. <laughs> right. You make the question. Jehovah is the best we did in the Middle Ages in English. 
it's pronounced, it's spelled Y-H-W-H, the clearest, and that's even a transliteration, but Yahweh, some Mm -hmm. people say now, we don't really know how it's pronounced, but we assume it's just God the Father, or I've heard people say that's just God the Father, Mm -hmm. and some have really hammered that point to suggest that Jesus is not divine, not a member of the Godhead. But here, it's surprising that um, as you look at the use of Yahweh or Jehovah in the Old Testament, it's used in Messianic prophecies of Jesus. So here's an example, Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's a good verse. You know why that's a good verse? Excellent verse. <laughs> yeah, that used to be the opening for the old Voice of Prophecy radio broadcast. That's the right. voice of one crying in... I can't do it all cool like they did, but... <laughs> the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, you notice the word Lord is all caps yeah. in the English Bible. Yeah, so what does that mean? Well, usually that? they're trying to tell you... They're trying to indicate to the reader what the original word was. And right. in this case, all caps, it's Yahweh, it's Jehovah. Okay. So, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the... Jehovah, of Jehovah, mm-hmm. make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, oh. what is that passage? It's a prophecy of, of who? Of Jesus, of course. Right. Yeah. It's actually prophesying the role of John the Baptist in right. announcing Jesus, Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. So Jesus is the one spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Which, which again, is in all caps. Well, in Matthew, it would be, you know, it would Mm -hmm. be in the, the, anyway. Uh, Make his path straight. He's literally saying that was a prophecy about Jesus. And we know the language is that it was a prophecy of Jehovah. So the Bible itself absolutely applies the title, the name, Jehovah or Yahweh to Jesus himself. Another example. Isaiah does this a lot. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold the Lord God. See, it's all in caps again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. The Lord God shall come with a strong hand. His arm will rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Then you get to Revelation 22, and it's ta- Jesus is speaking. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. It's mm. Jesus quoting Isaiah that says Jehovah will come and bring his reward. And Jesus himself is quoting that, saying, I am coming Applying and bringing it to himself. my reward. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. First Samuel 2, verse 6. Mm-hmm. The Lord, Jehovah. The mm-hmm. Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. So who brings people up from the grave? Mm, Yahweh. Yahweh. Yeah. Right? John 11, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Yeah. John 5, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Jesus actually applies prophecies that use the name Yahweh or Jehovah mm-hmm. to himself. Okay. So I think it's fair. Um, and I know when it issues the Godhead, we want to be careful and cautious, but I think that's fair. Jesus uses the name Jehovah of himself. Okay. Okay, so it's it's a name for God, not specifically God the Father, but it's a name for God. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, Sean, we're going to take a break in about a minute and a half. So I want to throw out the next question here. Okay. But I don't think you're going to have a chance to answer it fully, but here it is. What evidence does the Bible give that it should be our highest source of authority? Right. Doesn't tradition, the decisions of church councils, et cetera, come into play as well? Right. Mm, now, and question. I often say this, the Bible is our only rule of faith as Christians. And so I guess we're asking, you know, what, yeah. what evidence do we have from the Bible that that is true? That is there true. are people that challenge it. Christianity is a fairly broad spectrum in this day and age, and we have people who say tradition is equal to 
And we have others who say tradition is above Scripture, right. and others who say the Bible is the rule of faith. What does the Bible actually say about itself, and what claims does it make is the question, if I'm reading this right. Mm-hmm. And does tradition play in? What's the role of tradition in Christianity? That's a really good mm-hmm. question. Yeah, it, it really almost boils down to can we trust the Bible as our final authority? Yeah. And, and, and you know, do we just say that, or is there evidence from the yeah. Bible? Well, we'll mm-hmm. look at some traditions when the— well, you, let's talk about some traditions. Let's talk about the role of, well, oh, they started the music oh, on me. They yeah. did that on purpose. I was about to say something really profound and witty, <laughs> and they're all shaking their head in the control booth. Kill it, kill it, run the music. Don't let them say it. We'll look at that. We'll look at tradition, and we'll look at scripture and how they interplay okay. and what the role of each is and what the role of each should be Good. when we come back from the break. All right. And listen to this short message from The Voice of Prophecy, and we are going to take a short break, but I'm Jean Boonstra, your host today with Sean Boonstra, and we will be right back because you are listening to Disclosure. We'll be right back. Creation. Evolution. Where did the world come from? Where did you come from? Were you created in an instant? Did you evolve from another animal or life species? These are issues that are discussed in classrooms, textbooks, and sometimes around your break table at work when the conversation suddenly turns serious. These kinds of questions are answered in our free Discover Bible Guides. These 26 beautifully illustrated guides cover all the major themes of the Bible and they answer some of the hardest questions of life. You can get your free copy just for the asking by contacting me. Go to VOP.com and click on the tab that says study. That's VOP.com, the tab that says study. Or phone me, 888-456-7933. That's 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides, available just for the asking. Welcome back from the break. You are listening to Disclosure. I am Jean Boonstra, and I'm your host today because your usual host, Sean Boonstra, he is uh, answering some questions for you. Do you know what I did during the break? What? I hit my microphone. I sent it across the table. Does everything still sound good to you guys? Do I sound as suave and dulcet toned as usual? <laughs> or because we might need to adjust all the mics to make me sound even more amazing. They, they gave you a thumbs up. Oh, I, I got a it. thumbs up. Yeah. Oh, they're swooning over my voice in there. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, yeah. I'm absolutely sure that's yeah. what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, before we took the break, Sean, and of, of course, if you're just joining us, um, let me just let you know that we are answering questions today. Shh, actually, I'm asking questions. Sean is answering them. No, let's turn from, it around uh, now. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> let's let's keep going the way we're going. Um, <laughs> I am, after all, in the hot seat. You're in the hot seat. Yes. So these questions were submitted at Revelation Speaks Peace, which is a live seminar you've held all over the world, most recently in our home state of Colorado in beautiful Denver. Uh, so I asked you before the break this question that came in. What evidence does the Bible give that it should be our highest source of authority? Doesn't tradition, decisions of church councils, etc., come into play as well? All right. Let's go to the declarations of the Bible. We all, all Christians agree that the Bible is inspired. Other right. people put equal weight on church councils and tradition. But let's take a look at the claims of the Bible. Let's just go right to what it says. Great. First place we're going to go is 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 
Okay, this one's a big one. If you've got a pen and paper at home, you want to write these down and look at these and, and, and contemplate them. But the Bible's pretty clear on this. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So that's where we get our doctrine. Mm-hmm. For reproof, for mm-hmm. re- correction. Now that's that's important too. Sometimes we think the Bible is just there to make nice, you know, screensavers mm-hmm. and uh, beautiful greeting cards and pleasant mm-hmm. thoughts. It's nope. It is not a Jack Handy document. It is not everything is nice. And, no, it's for correction as yeah, well. Yeah, because it's for our growth. It's right. for our spiritual growth. So it says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, mm-hmm. for instruction in righteousness, mm-hmm. that the man of God may be complete. What what what, what can he be complete? complete? How are we completed? Where does our completion happen? It's the it's, it's the lessons we learn from Scripture, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's good for doctrine. What what are we going to believe? Check the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. It's for correction, reproof, instruction, and in righteousness. And this is what completes you. It directs you to the Bible as the thing that completes you and equips you for every good work. Okay, that's Paul in Second Timothy chapter three. Let's go to the Old Testament, Isaiah eight and verse twenty. Okay. To the law. And to the testimony, it says. This is actually in the context, by the way. If you read the whole chapter, it's in the context of spiritualism seances and stuff and Mm. warning people to not seek their counsel from some other source. But what source should we go to? It says, to the law and to the testimony, in Isaiah 8, verse 20, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Mm. So here we have this principle that takes the Bible as the standard that judges all other sources of information. Okay. Now, I've had people question me saying, if you say the Bible is the only rule of uh, faith for the Christian, you know, your highest authority, then you're just keeping yourself ignorant and you don't read other sources. You don't read. No, that's nonsense. I've got thousands of books. I read lots of sources. Mm-hmm. I read non-Christian Absolutely. authors. I read everything. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to what is right and true, I'm going to judge the other books by the Bible and not vice yeah, versa. Because yeah. the Bible says, look, if they disagree with this, it's because there's no light in them. If they're not speaking according to God's word. Good. You see the declaration of Jesus in John 10, verse 35. He tells them, and it's one of the bluntest statements, Scripture cannot be broken. His confidence in Scripture was incredibly high. Second Peter 1, verse 19. We're going to do a bit of Bible study on this. This is an important thing to establish. So we've looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We looked at Isaiah 8, verse 20. You can look at John 10, 35. 2 Peter 1, 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. It's talking about the reliability of the prophetic word. It's talking about scripture. Which you do well to heed is a light that shines in a dark place. What are we supposed to pay attention to? Mm, The prophetic word. word. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Continues, Mm. uh, since you have purified, this is verse 22, purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren... Love each other. Let me go down here. Oh, verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. How are we born again? Mm. How are we changed? Through the the word word of God. God. Because all flesh is grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So in other words, the Bible's permanent. 
It's mm-hmm. reliable. It doesn't change. It stays there. But what we create as human beings is like the grass and the flowers. It's going to fade away. Mm. So the standard by which we judge everything, man's, you know, our traditions are man-made traditions and so on. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want to nail this one to the wall. Okay. okay? Verse 1. Now, O Israel. Listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land of the the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. Listen to this verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you nor take from it. So you don't get to add anything to God's word that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Mm. So don't take anything away, don't add to it. So let's talk about tradition a little bit. There are traditions that are completely harmless. It is a tradition that most churches have church at 11 o'clock. There is nothing in the Bible that says go to church at 11 Mm o'clock. There is something there that tells you what day to go to church. Mm -hmm. There's no question about it, right? Mm -hmm. You can go to church every day, but it does set one day and seven apart as holy in the fourth commandment. But going to church at 11 is... It's a tradition that comes to us from the Middle Ages. I won't even get into how we got that tradition, but it's not, you know, it's not a nice story. Well, it is. You know, in the old days, um, you had to have the mass. When we're going back to the Middle Ages, you had to have the mass before noon. Mm-hmm. And that's the latest you could wait and put it off until 11 o'clock. That's really the reason, as I understand it, that we do that. Is there anything wrong with having church at 11 o'clock? No. It's a tradition. Should we stop doing it just because it's a tradition? No. no it doesn't nothing... violate anything in the Word right. of God. Right. It, it doesn't do anything no. against that standard. Yeah. Right. Another tradition. In a lot of churches, the minister shakes your hand on the way out of church. Right. There is nothing. There is nothing in the Bible that says shake everybody's hand as they leave church. It's a tradition. Is it a harmful tradition? No, absolutely not. Flowers at a funeral. Mm-hmm. Another tradition. That's actually a pagan tradition. Did you know that that was a pagan tradition? I did. Yeah. I did know that. Yeah. Well, Learned the, it from you. Okay, so we don't need to explain <laughs> it to the listeners. Yeah. Well, you. you oh, could, okay. You no. Could here's here's where it comes from. The flowers at a funeral. Pagans way back when, they believed that the gods in the afterlife wouldn't let you in unless you were a cool and popular kid here in this life. And so they were trying to demonstrate how cool and popular you were when you died by presenting flowers. And then the dead person could arrive in the, you know, the shadowy yeah. underworld and they say, well, I don't know if we're going to let you in. They could show But I was worth, really cool. Value. Look how many flowers right. I got. Right, right, right. right. And so we still do that to this day. Mm -hmm. Now we do it for a completely different reason. We bring flowers to a funeral because it's just nice, right? It's It's just we're showing concern. Is there anything wrong with that tradition? I don't see it violating like God's Ten Commandment moral law. I don't see anything like that. Um, No, if tradition doesn't violate scripture, mm-hmm. then you're good. There's okay. more. There's more scripture to establish this. I know we need to really establish this because there's so much confusion on this issue. Yeah, no, this is important. Okay. First Corinthians 4, uh, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Oh, that's important. Be very careful as you judge people because only God knows and he's going to show you what was really going on, you know, in the end. Mm-hmm. Then each one's praise will come from God. Okay. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, Mm -hmm. that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. So he says, you can't go beyond what's actually in the Bible when you think about certain things, the afterlife and... And um, and what's going to happen to your neighbor and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. God will reveal the rest of it in his time. You are not to go past what is in Scripture. And just uh, create theories and, and, and assumptions yeah, on, on what you think that should be, be there. Adding right. to God's word, as Absolutely. we read in, you know, in the Old Testament, was forbidden. Yep. Jesus himself, this is God in human flesh. Jesus himself points to the Bible 
as the source of authority. He could just declare things because he is the creator God. Matthew 22, verse 31. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, Jesus said, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob? What has he just done? Have you not read? Did you not read that? So he's referring back to the scriptures. Jesus does it again and again. The Son of God himself, the highest authority in the universe, is pointing people to the Bible. Absolutely. Go there and get the answer. Mm -hmm. Matthew chapter 4, Satan is tempting him in the wilderness. If you are the Son of God, command these stones be turned into bread. How does Jesus answer? Get away, Satan, I'm Jesus. No. (laughs) No. He says, it is is written. written. He points to the scriptures. Two disciples after the resurrection of Jesus, don't realize Jesus has come back from the dead. It's the stories in Luke 24. And they're discouraged. Boy, we thought he was going to be Messiah, overthrow the Romans, and they're kicking the dirt, and they're depressed, and they're going home. And Jesus suddenly shows up, and they don't recognize him. Mm -hmm. Now, here's what Jesus could have done. Ta-da! I'm here. Here I'm risen from the dead. It's all over. No, no, no. Matthew 24, verse 27. What does he do? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He gives them a Bible study. Okay. So he, even Jesus, creates this evidence of his resurrection based on the standard of the scriptures. Points him to the scriptures Beautiful. first, and he doesn't go to the evidence of their senses. He starts at the evidence of the Bible, and then you compare the evidence of your senses to, to what is Bible. found in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the issue of tradition, where you weight it versus scripture, Jesus makes it really clear. Listen to this, Matthew 15. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is verse one. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the mm. tradition of the elders? That's the issue here. Right. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. This was a ritual Washing. Some restaurants and some religious traditions, you'll still find it. There's a ritual washing station in the restaurant. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Aha. So the tradition is being compared to the standard of Scripture. Jesus just put Uh Scripture above tradition. Verse 9, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You can end up in a situation where you're worshiping God in vain because you've relied on tradition instead of checking what God said. Look, everything you need, uh, we saw that in the beginning, right, when we were reading 2 Timothy 3, everything you need to complete you and thoroughly equip you for every good work is found in Scripture. Mm -hmm. But if you build on tradition without reference to Scripture, you can end up in a situation where you're doing things completely wrong and actually worshiping in vain. That's what Jesus says. And so there's no question, look, there's just no question that the scripture does establish the written word of God Mm -hmm. as the standard, the rule of faith, that everything else has to be compared to. Okay. So general principle here would be if if there's a tradition that you compare it to the scripture, it's innocent, it doesn't conflict, it's probably okay. If there's something that seems to have superseded or gone against the standards of the Bible, that's tradition we need to let go of, That's or or assess and analyze and, 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 That's right. and get rid of. So there's nothing. Look, Christianity's 2,000 years old. We've got some marvelous traditions. Mm-hmm. We really have some marvelous traditions. But you're right. 
The standard is the Word of God. You need to be a Berean. You need to go back and check the scriptures. If you discover that you're observing a tradition that's in direct violation of God's principles, mm. of God's moral law in particular, then you've got to reject the tradition and stand on the Word of God. This is, when Jesus returns, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. It's a symbol of his word. Right. Right. And that's telling us that that's what's going to judge in the end, not what did the preacher say, not what did tradition say, what did the Word of God say. What did the say? Word of God say? And we're each responsible to study and to learn that for ourselves. Well, Sean, we have one more break one more segment and i have a few more questions here that i can't wait to ask you so don't go anywhere we'll be right back are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like where is god when we suffer can i find real happiness or is there any hope for our chaotic world the discover bible guides will help you find the answers you're looking for Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and a second chance at life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Welcome back to Disclosure. I am your host for today, Jean Boonstra, and we are in our final segment of today's program where Sean has been answering questions for us. Uh, question, Sean, that you've received at Revelation Speaks yeah, it's Peace events. the fourth segment already. The fourth segment. Well, that time yes, flies when you're just basking in somebody's beauty across oh, the desk. Man. Yeah. <laughs> right. I you just, just throw me off when yeah, you do all that stuff. No, it's like, of course time's flying. I think Einstein said that, right? A few seconds in the presence of a pretty girl feels like eternity, but a few Aww. seconds on a sto- no, it's the other way around. Each feels. I messed it up. I messed it up. You're <laughs> the hot like stove. <laughs> okay, what he said is a few seconds on a hot stove feels like an eternity, but an hour in the presence of a beautiful girl feels like a couple a few of seconds. seconds. Right. <laughs> I can't believe I messed that up. Here I'm trying to pay you a compliment, and I call you a hot stove. I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> Wow. I think we better maybe get back to our Bible questions. What do you think? Uh, we answered some really good questions. Uh, I, I thought I'm so. Really I thought, I thought those were some of the most lucid, intelligent answers ever delivered in a radio show at any ever? point in the history ever. of the Christian faith. Ever. Okay. No, they were adequate answers. No, but but they're good questions. Yeah, and, they are. and what I really like about um, you having this question box at your Revelation Speaks Peace seminars is – a lot of people in all different locations around the world, we all have similar questions. And so now answering them here on oh, Disclosure, did you write it's these? great. Did you write all these no, questions? No, 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 I didn't. But uh, um, the people who were attending did. The whole and, show and, you know, was a lie. No. These are not wasn't. real questions. My wife turned them all in. They're real questions. You have the papers. Yeah, right I actually still have the originals here. Yeah. but There they are. But so, and an individual who has this question in Denver is very likely that it, um, several of the people listening to us have, have also thought the same thing. So it's great that we can answer it for for everybody. Okay, here's another question, Sean. Do we know what Jesus actually looked like? Nope. Next question. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There weren't any cameras back then. No, were no there? cameras. No, no film. No, look, no here's video. What, here's what we do know. I mean, mm-hmm. there's the, the, the odds. 
that he looked like a Northern European, that he was Swedish, mm-hmm. are zero. Jesus yeah. wasn't Swedish. He, he wasn't born and in I, Sweden. And I understand a lot of the artwork in the 1940s and 50s have Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes, and he looks like a Viking, you know. Mm. And there's no way Jesus was a Viking. No. No, he's not no. Northern European. Right. Right? He looked Middle Eastern is, is the best guess you can come up with. Yeah. He looked Middle Eastern. Yeah. Um, now, I'm going to say this, though. And people often make fun of the fact that all the pictures that sort of showed up in the 1950s made Jesus look like a Swede mm-hmm. or, you know, Finnish or German yeah. or mm-hmm. whatever. I'm going to give some points to that. Um, Christianity had an interesting introduction into the nations of Western Europe, mm. and it's a tumultuous relationship. The battle, when Christianity showed up among the Vikings, it was a tough go. There were big wars. You know, you get there's a story in Iceland where everybody who wanted to be Christian had to move to one side of the island, and everyone who wanted to stay pagan, you know, stayed where, oh, what's that spot called, where the old parliament from the 900s is, or wherever that is. And they separated, and, and there were wars, and there was a lot of contention about Christianity mm-hmm. in these barbarian nations. Uh, the same thing happened among my own people, the Frisians. It was contentious. The Celts, some struggled with whether or not they were going to leave paganism and, and become sure. Christian. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, though, they so completely identify with Jesus that they think of him as one of them. Oh. And so to have a culture portray Jesus as one of them is at least some indication of the triumph of the gospel among those mm-hmm. people. That's one way of looking at it. Right. That's good. So now I yeah. hear people saying, oh, but... You know, they, they see, for example, they'll see an African-American Jesus on the cover of a book. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. He's like, and I always tell them, well, you're going to complain about that, but you paint him like he's Swedish. And that's not true either. <laughs> right, right. And so, one, you know, on the, on the upside is culture after culture has completely identified with Jesus and thought of him as one of their own. That's the good. truth is Middle Eastern. Middle Eastern. Yeah. Probably dark-eyed, olive-skinned. I don't know, do you though. Think, do you think he was good-looking, average-looking? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, he's always a good-looking Swede, too, right? Jesus yeah. is always a—no. Actually, we know he wasn't. That's right. Isaiah 53. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were—that was a leading question. You <laughs> a little were try, bit, just because I to go to Isaiah, You're trying to go to Isaiah 53. Uh-huh. Here's the prophecy of Jesus. Listen to this. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. This is Isaiah 53, verse 2. Mm-hmm. It's pre- predicting Jesus. He has no form or comeliness. Mm-hmm. That's an old word for good beauty. looks. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Mm. It tells us that people were not attracted to Jesus because of his good looks. Right. They were attracted to Jesus because of his character. And what Jesus tells us in John 17, he's praying to the Father and says, I have manifested your name, Father, to these my disciples. In other words, I've shown them your character. What was attractive about Jesus was his character. Yes. Now, what you find in the Bible... Oh, let me look this up here. Um... It, it, what you find in the Bible is the instruction for oh, oh my Bible software is failing me. What, where are we going? Where, I can look it up. Oh no, First Peter three verse four. Okay. Okay. Actually, verse three. Mm, yeah, verse, verse three. three. Okay. And let me switch here. Okay. Do not, verse 3, let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Because, you know, it's tell, warning us as Christians to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, not worry so much about outward appearance. I mm-hmm. think we should look respectable. You know, you should you shouldn't teeth, look like well, you shouldn't hair. look like a homeless, crazy street <laughs> right. prophet, right? Yeah, you because know, that's not going to help the gospel either. But instead of the outward appearance, listen to what it says in verse four: 
Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, Mm. which is very precious in the sight of God. The Bible teaches that God judges by the inward character. What Jesus was known for was his character. He was beautiful because of who he was, not how he looked. So you're right. He was probably an ordinary, average-looking person. He came as one of us. He didn't come as nobility. Mm -hmm. He came as the poorest of the poor. Mm -hmm. He lived with the common, humble people. And no, he was not Swedish. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, right. Although, if you are Swedish, Jesus loves the Swedes, too. I mean, that's not—he's everybody. Yeah. Absolutely, right. the, and 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 I and I love when it, when I think of Jesus when he was here on this earth, he I always imagine him. He's average height, he's average looks, because you need him to be people, average height, don't you? Because you come from like uh, Zacchaeus stock. Yeah, that, you're from the yeah. you're from the line of Zacchaeus. That's <laughs> exactly. right. Exactly. And so, and Jesus recognized Jesus was short, so he's got to be taller than Zacchaeus. Yeah, but probably shorter than me. Well, yeah, but you, there are others in, in the Bible. <laughs> now we, we're speculating. Now this we're is the speculating. most useless. We're totally speculating. But listen, this is why I picture uh, okay. him this way. Okay. There's a reason because there are others in the Bible that we are told were very beautiful or very Absalom. tall, like Saul and Absalom with that gorgeous yeah, hair. Yeah, no, it actually says Saul the king. Right. Was the best looking guy in the whole country. Exactly. And that's why it's my, I just resonate with that story. So much. You come from the stock of Saul, and I from come the from the of stock of Zacchaeus. Clearly, the best-looking man in the country. <laughs> clearly. No, clearly. I've seen myself. Yeah. But I walk in the footsteps of Jesus, I guess. Average. <laughs> well, that's not bad, is That's it? not bad, no. No, but when you when you, when you – there was nothing about him physically that was attractive. It was who he was, his character. That's right. That was so Wouldn't it be so nice attractive. if somebody made a Bible film where Jesus was ordinary looking? Yeah, it, it doesn't happen. No. Very often. No. But do yeah. we know what he looked like actually? No. Good news is you're going to see him. Yes. No, you'll get to judge it and we see. We will see him. But uh, he was known. His beauty was his character. Mm-hmm. And the Bible did predict that he wasn't going to be so handsome that people were drawn to him. Mm-hmm. That's not what they were drawn. So yeah. there you go. Okay. But not Swedish. Good. <laughs> not Swedish. All right. Sean, here's another question that was in the question box. Does the Bible say you need to be married to have sex? It only mentions adultery, which is cheating. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I I mean, if you're saying, do you need to be married to have sex? No, you don't. You can do that whenever you want, I suppose. I mean, as physical. Well, but you're talking but bio- does the biology. Bible insist on being married to have sex? Does it insist on that? Yes, it does. And I remember this question coming in, and my answer was, nice try. <laughs> nice try. Some guy put this in the box. He's just hoping I'm going to give him a pass. And the answer is no. I'm not going to give you a pass, right? Here, here's why. And, and some people have tried to build a case. I can't see anywhere in the Bible where you can't just sleep with your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that adultery is wrong. So if you're married, you can't cheat. That would be wrong. But we're not married, and so it's not wrong. Yes, it is. The, the problem is you're not looking for the right language. Um, okay. There's no verse that says you shall not sleep together before you are married. But there is one that says you shall not. Well, let's look it up. Galatians chapter 5. Okay. Galatians chapter 5. May as well go right to the word of God. And uh, I'm going to shut down all the guys that are hoping for a pass here. You're not going to get one from me. Okay. It's not even honest. You're not a real man if that's the way you behave. Okay. I would agree. Galatians 5 and verse... 19? Yeah, 19. Okay. You're right. Hey, you found it ahead of me. Yeah. That often happens. Gold sticker for me. Okay. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. There's the one that they say, okay, we get that's wrong. Fornication, uncleanness, mm-hmm. lewdness. Fornication is an interesting word. It's pornea in the Greek. Guess what we get from that? Oh, pornography. Yes, we get pornography. Yeah. And, um, and we know pornography is wrong. Fornication 
pornea is simply the act of sex outside of marriage. That's mm. what the word is. So when it says fornication, um, well, it says in verse 21, same passage, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Mm. It's not my language. It's what God says. Uh, the real issue, if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the real issue there is like, oh, why does God want to ruin my fun? That's just fun. You know, sex is fun. I want to have sex, and God just doesn't want me to enjoy life. No, he does. And he knows that if you do it the wrong way, it's stealing something from you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 15. Okay. Do you not know? This is specifically talking about sexuality. All right. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ to make the members of a harlot? Certainly not. Hmm. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Verse 18, yeah. flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does out is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Hmm. So it says that in the sexual act, if you're know, going to sleep with a prostitute is the example that he gives. If you're doing that, and yeah, if you've got little kids in the room, you might guess go make them play with their Lego here for a minute. But, <laughs> but yeah. if you're sleeping with a prostitute, it says the two become one flesh. Right. Now we're starting to realize that there's no such thing as casual sex. Casual sex happens to be easier for guys because they don't have the conscience that, that a woman does. Um, and women exude a lot more oxytocin. Oxytocin is like the love hormone. Mm -hmm. uh, mothers put it out when they're nursing their newborn babies, mm -hmm. and it chemically it's bonds bonding. you to that person. It's yeah. an emotional chemical that raises trust. Right. It happens in the sexual relationship as well. So if you're sleeping with somebody that you don't have a lifetime commitment with, you're leaving a little piece of yourself behind. And um, and actually damaging your ability to have healthy relationships. You're chemically bonding to that person. There's no such thing as casual sex. And casual hookups have a horrible emotional toll on us. Mm. So uh, God says, I want this to be in the context of life. Because marriage is supposed to be a school for heaven. In Ephesians 5, Paul compares marriage to the relationship Jesus has with the church. Mm -hmm. It's forever. We're faithful to each other forever. He will never abandon us, never leave us or forsake us. And that's the context that we're supposed to be learning in marriage. Okay. So casual hookups are causing you emotional damage. They're cheating you of the richness God wants you to have in a relationship. And yes, the Bible says you need to be married to have sex. And it's and it's for our own good, as you just described. It's because God loves us and he wants the very best for us. And he wants to protect us from that pain. Yep, that's yeah, absolutely right. Wonderful. And honestly, uh, the oxytocin issue, girls get hurt a lot more. So that's, guys, you really are a dog if you're sleeping around moving from girl to girl. You're a dog. You're damaging people and you're damaging yourself. That's what mm -hmm. the Bible teaches. It is so much better. Look, Marriage is the greatest thing on earth. It's mm -hmm. the greatest thing on earth. I've been married for 25 years. Yes, as have I. Yeah, oddly yeah. enough. And uh, <laughs> it's going to go on for another 25 or 35, I hope. I hope so. Because there's nothing more rewarding than doing things God's way. Well, and, and Sean, I just want to throw out there, too, we're just about to close the program. But, of course, if mistakes have been made, God is also yeah. a God of forgiveness. Yeah, you can, you can push the reset yes. button. There is yeah. forgiveness, and I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, there is right? forgiveness. God can cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, verse Absolutely. 9. Absolutely. So you can start again, but I would start again and do it right. Do it right. Do it God's yeah. way, and the rewards are huge. I hear the music. Absolutely. That means we're out of time this week. We are out of time. That's because you so... talk so much. Oh, yeah, I you know. You just I'm used just up all the time. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sean, we've gotten through quite a few of the questions from Revelation Speaks Peace, not all of them. I really enjoy sharing these, and I hope we can do this again. You've been listening to Disclosure. I have been your host, Jean Boonstra, here with Sean Boonstra, and I hope that you'll join us again next time.